Hey everybody, it's that time for more of my bits and bobs today here on Everyday Geo. So let's get started. Hey folks, JB here. And it's time for another one of my bits and bobs segments. So what is bits and bobs? Well, it's where I take a look at some of those interesting things that I think, well, some of the things that I think are interesting that I find on social media. These could be links to articles. It could be, and these articles could be geospatial technology, something just about geospatial, the use of geospatial in different types of industries or, or whatever. Something geospatial. That's what I like. So let's get started and check it out. Any of you like to go out for a jog or a hike? And while you're out there, you feel, well, a little free, a little unencumbered, you know, just you and the road. Or maybe the trail, which is what I like. But I like, when I'm out there, I feel kind of alone with nobody to bother me. Well, if you use a fitness device like a Fitbit or many other devices out there like it, you may not be as alone as you think. There's an article from Stars and Stripes that covered how U.S. troops were unwittingly revealing sensitive information by just jogging, recording where they were going, as well as how long it took to get from point A to point B. Now, there's a company called Strava. Sort of sounds Russian, but it's not. It's, it's Swedish. But Strava collects data from your fitness devices. Now, there are other companies out there that do the same thing, but this article points out this company specifically. Because it's where it was found that the data that they collect, that Strava collects, was able to be viewed online and also available to developers via their API. Now, with over 27 million users around the world of fitness devices all feeding into Strava, there's a lot of information. According to their site, over 1 billion activities have been recorded with 13 trillion data points. Now, the information site itself does not identify the users of these apps. I can't click on a trail and say, hey, this is JB. He's running between point A and point B. Well, that information is not at least available to the public, and I really don't know what available or what information is available to developers using their API. Also, the information from the device is not being displayed in real time so that somebody can see where you are at any given moment while using your fitness app. However, it can show to the right person what is known as a pattern of life. Now, when we talk about pattern of life, we're talking about what the streets that you tend to run on more than others, what gym you typically work out in, what trails you hike more often or forest you tend to frequent. In the military, this can be a problem, as it can give terrorists terrorist, <laughs> terrorist or other groups information on where, where to plant booby traps or set up an ambush, or maybe where a mission has been conducted. Now, this can be some scary stuff, as there are some real nut jobs out there in the world, as we can all recently attest to. Now, on the civilian side, I don't know. I don't want to think of what somebody might do, but I think I'm going to have to go back and read the fine print on the fitness devices that I use 
and what data it's collected and how that data is protected. And if I don't like it, well, it's time to find a new device to use. But don't forget, most of these devices provide a way where you can turn off data transmission services so that they can never get to a database like this. So there's some food for thought for you. Next, I found an interesting article about the top 20 GIS books recommended to every GIS specialist. Well, I work with GIS. I'm interested in keeping up my educational level. So I was interested in what type of books they had to offer. Well, out of the 20 books available, 10 were just focused on the ArcGIS products and workflows. And if you count the multiple versions they included, as well as in the recommendations, the number of Esri-focused books were really 16. Now, GIS is not just Esri. There's other packages out there, and I don't fault Esri at all. They are good at what they do, and they made the investment in Esri Press and put the effort out there to get educational material out there for people to learn. Other companies like, like maybe MapInfo or Hexagon Geospatial haven't had these types of books out there for their users to learn their products in years or even decades. Now, the list of books also included some other books instead of just Esri books. Some good books on GIS fundamentals, a couple of books of QGIS, as well as some image processing books, and there was even one book on using R for statistical geospatial analysts. So make sure check out these list of 20 books. You might find one that is interesting to you. And that led me to another article that I saw online that said, are you new to, new to GIS? Are you new to GIS? I was like, no, I'm not new to GIS, but I'm kind of interested in what they are saying to those people who are new to GIS. It was just a link. I didn't look at the URL or anything. I just clicked on it. Well, clickbait. Yep, the title of the article is what made me click on it. And of course, it's another great marketing scheme by Esri, as all the articles does is focus on the Esri product line. So like if you want to read a magazine about GIS, well, they say read Arc User, Arc News, Arc Watch, Esri Globe, and so on. So it left me a little bit more than a little disappointed. I think the article should have really have been called, Are You New to ArcGIS? instead of GIS. But I probably would not have clicked on it if I had seen that as the title, and damn it, Esri knew it. Well played, Esri. Damn you. Well played. The next article comes from GIM International and is titled New Solution for Precise Autonomous Vehicle Localization and Navigation. And in this article, they feature a company called Civil Maps, and Civil Maps has released something they call Fingerprint Base Map. And the Fingerprint Base Map can help companies working on self-driving or autonomous vehicles better determine their precise location in six degrees of freedom and at the same time, evaluate the safest route to travel. Now, one of the major problems they solve is on the data side. Autonomous vehicles have to take in a, a large amount of data and process that information, like from onboard cameras and LIDAR sensors that generate big point clouds. It takes information like this and the six degrees of freedom 
and converts them into smaller voxels. Now, JB, what is a voxel? Well, if you think to what a pixel is, a pixel being a picture element that is displayed in 2D space, a voxel is a volumetric element that works well in the 3D world. And if you want to visual if you want a visual example of a voxel, a good game, a good one would be the game Minecraft, as well as a few other games out there. So Civil Maps is using their algorithms to take the raw point cloud data from a self-driving car and transform it into a lightweight voxel fingerprint, which will allow a vehicle to find their location in a map. Then the vehicle can do a quick comparison of the vehicle's environment with other previously generated voxels from other vehicles that had traversed the area, and when matched, the six degrees of localization is quickly achieved, and the base map continues to grow and change as the environment changes and new vehicles traverse the area. They claim to, and I'm using air quotes here, radically reduce the cost associated with data processing, computing power, data storage, bandwidth, and energy consumption, end quote. Since this fingerprint base map is, well, created in the vehicle itself and information is uploaded to the cloud, the voxels generated are more lightweight and not as heavy as the raw data. It appears to be a nice solution to the problems of big data and transmission speeds over 3G, 4G, and LTE. They state that a conventional base map of the city of San Francisco requires up to 4 terabytes of storage in the vehicle but their voxel-based maps of the same area only needs 400 megabytes. And that's just one city. Imagine having to navigate multiple cities in your autonomous car. It's going to be very exciting to see where all this comes together uh, to autonomously get us from point A to point B. So check out the article and check out what Civil Maps is doing with their fingerprint-based map. And speaking of autonomous vehicles and point clouds, Geoinformatics put out an article what the future of LiDAR looks like. Well, LiDAR units are getting smaller and smaller. Look at a couple of the Leica units that they have out there days. Now, they've won a couple of awards, and it's a very small platform. But anyway, the, the, the units are getting smaller and smaller and more dense over time, which is all needed for autonomous vehicles. I mean, you can't have 20 huge LiDAR units on a vehicle. They need to be small and integrated into the actual look and look and style of the car itself. Because one is not going to do it. You're going to have to have a LiDAR system integrated in the bumpers, front and the rear, the side. So it's got to look well. So smaller is a good thing. And they also have to be able to generate very dense clouds at around 200 to 300 meters. But do you need as dense of a point cloud beyond? I mean, there are physical limitations that had to be considered. So you may have multiple types of LiDAR sensors on a vehicle. And when I think of an advanced LiDAR, I think of something as the autonomous scanners that I see in various sci-fi movies like Prometheus, where floating globes fly through the alien spaceship, scanning and mapping it and displaying the information in real time. Or maybe the modern version of War of the Worlds, where a scanner is used in the basement scene to look for humans. 
This article points out some of the things that are for sure needed, especially if we're going to be using LIDAR in autonomous vehicles. And that's what this article focuses on. And the article also points out what I've known for quite a while. LIDAR alone can't handle all the requirements for your, for your autonomous vehicle. Radar, imagery, thermal imagery, etc. will have to be combined to cover all the various environmental factors that the vehicle will be faced with while safely transporting its occupants. So check out this article. Next article I saw was about Airbus. And Airbus has been busy lately. I know some folks at Airbus Aerial that are working on drones, but another team at Airbus has taken it to another level. The article Airbus 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 drone taxi takes to the skies for the first time. Wow. Drone technology is not getting bigger to accept larger sensors like LiDAR sensors. They're really getting bigger. A while back, Airbus announced that it was planning on developing a self-flying taxi. Yeah, just like something out of a sci-fi movie. And guess what? They did it. The Airbus Bahana team actually flew an autonomous air taxi they decided to call Alpha One. All by itself, it flew. Okay, so it flew for like 53 seconds. And it, it achieved the amazing height of 16 feet, but that's higher and longer than any other self-flying taxi out there. And if you know of one that can beat that, you need to let the rest of the world know. So good job, Airbus. But I hope you have, uh, I hope you are planning on having some airsick bags on those taxis for those patrons who's going to take your taxi home after a night out on the town. I'm just saying. So GIS Lounge put out an article called GIS and Gerrymandering. Well, gerrymandering is not new. It's gone on for a long, long time. And it, in my opinion, is a, kind of a dishonest. Now, there is, if you want to know what gerrymandering is, there is a good video on gerrymandering on YouTube by CGP Gray. And I will include a link to his video on the podcast page on this Everyday Geo site. He has other gerrymandering, uh, gerrymandering videos on his channel, as well as some other really cool, interesting videos like the history of the Union Jack uh, or the Secret City of London or how you can become Pope. But OK, I'm going to get back to the topic at hand, but check out his site. It seems that politicians now are now relying more and more in using GIS to help them gerrymander by changing the borders of the various districts within their state to favor one party over the other. And GIS helps them do this far faster than it was traditionally done. There have also been a couple of recent court decisions on where some states, and the most recent I can think of really is North Carolina, well, they're having to go back to the drawing board under court order to redo their districts to make it more fair. But really, what is fair? Well, I, I guess that's going to be up for the judge to decide. But, you know, in my opinion, this is a good example of where GIS is being used in a bad way. Not evil, but man, you talk about lying with maps. So, you know, check out this article yourself if you're interested. <laughs>
GIS Lounge also had an article called Mapping Rainforest Chemistry. Now, have you ever looked at a forest and thought, man, that is a lot of green? I have. But after learning more about what remote sensing can show me about vegetation during my years in college and out of college, there is more to green plants than being, you know, green. Lots of medication used to save lives around the world originated from the chemical makeup of plants, especially in various rainforests around the world like the Amazon. These plants are composed of a variety of chemicals. Well, this article talks about how researchers using a laser-guided spectroscopy scanner was used to help map the chemical makeup of rainforests and the ability to see footprints that are not seen with regular three-band near-infrared, or other current commercial sensors. The article explains how, using the technology, they were able to delineate 36 different forest types based solely on chemical composition. I personally found it interesting, and if you like remote sensing and vegetative mapping, I'm sure you will too. Now here's an article from Arc News that I greatly enjoyed. It excited me. Mixing the real with the virtual. And in this article, Esri shows us a couple of things. One, that good ideas are often ignored and sit out there until somebody with a similar vision or idea reaches out and makes things happen. And the second is mixed reality is pushing forward. I have discussed previously with at least two folks who have come on the Everyday Geo podcast that unlike virtual reality, which has been around for some time now, and augmented reality like Pokemon Go, that mixed reality, the ability to view and retrieve information about both the visible, real-world objects surrounding them and the virtual objects representing features that cannot physically be seen, like underground utilities, is going to be the next big thing. And here in this article, we learn how a couple of guys Lynn Bundra of Tom's River Municipal Utilities Authority in New Jersey and Alex Pestal, a developer from Toronto, Canada, who founded and is CEO of an Esri startup partner, came up with a mixed reality app after an article that Lynn wrote on LinkedIn sat for close to three years. Sure, the article was liked by many, but Alex was the, or Alec, was the only one that wanted to work with Lynn and actually acted on it. The Esri article explains how these two were able to work together through hurdles, such as funding and so on, to produce a system and a headset. Now, okay, the headset they really didn't produce. Instead, they used an existing headset, the Microsoft HoloLens, to display underground utilities that were surveyed to sub-decimeter accuracy and were processed as ArcGIS feature services that were then uploaded to a Microsoft Azure Cloud service, which then communicated directly to the HoloLens out in the field to create the mixed reality display to the tester. Now, the field worker had to first orient himself and the HoloLens to the area that they were working. Now, this only took a couple steps, and in a few minutes, they were up and running, so to speak. He was able to see the underground network of water, 
of water lines, drain sewer lines, and so on. And the pipes that he was seeing were in the correct dimensional size, as well as the type of pipe it was, whether water or sewer, because it was colorized, because it was pulling in the necessary information from the actual feature service. Also, the guy could even use voice control. Now, how cool is that? Voice control to say, zoom in, pan right, pan left, select object. And then once the object was selected and he could view the information about that selected object, he can even then close that information. Now, how is that for true hands-free operation? Heck, it even has a small white cursor that would move based off the eye movement of the operator. Now, that would probably drive me a little nuts at first, as I would, like, look at that dot, wonder what the dot is, and then when I move my eyes, it would move, but I would try to follow it, and it would keep moving, and I would keep trying to follow it, not in thinking at first that it's my eyes that are causing, that's really causing the dot to move in the first place. But eventually, I think I would figure it out and get adjusted to it, and it would be very useful. Now, Tom's River is using this app currently out in the field, and for me, that's, that's just pretty cool. However, right now, it's a little costly. I mean, the HoloLens is about $5,000 a piece. But like we've seen with technology before, prices tend to go down as more people use it and there are more choices to choose from. Unless you buy that iPhone X, which went up in price. Damn it. Anyway, check out this article for more about the work this pair has done, as well as what Microsoft and Esri helped them with. Okay, get ready, because it's coming really coming. That's right, four years from now, the National Spatial Reference System will be modernized. Yeah, it's going to replace the good old North American datum of 83, as well as the North American vertical datum of 88. You can read more about this inside of GIS's lounge, GIS Lounge article titled, The Entire National Spatial Reference System to be Modernized in 2022. So, are you going to prepare? Will you be making the shift? Is your software provider going to be ready when it goes live? You know, many in the industry are prone not to make changes like this. Heck, it took 57 years from NAD27 to be upgraded to NAD83, and there are still some folks out there that use NAD27 instead of 88. At least the time difference between 83, I mean, I mean, NAD 27 instead of 83, at least the time difference between NAD 83 and the new North American Terrestrial Reference Frame 2022 is, 20, is 39 years. <laughs> wow, what a name. <laughs> Heck, I'm, I'm sure some out there will not migrate because they do not, not want to have to verbally say NATRF 2022. NAD is shorter to type and say. Come on, you know I'm right. Someone out there is going to go, nope, not migrating to that stupid name. Personally, I say it's about time and you can learn more about it in this article. Speaking of a new reference system, how are you going to convert from your current projection to the new one? 
it's like you could really benefit from some type of feature manipulation engine to help you through that process, if there was only such a thing. Well, you're in luck. The group at Safe Software produces a product called Feature Manipulation Engine, or FME, to help you with this task as well as countless other tasks when it comes to conversions, transformations, getting data to work in a lot of different applications, and automating your workflows. You could even say it's the equivalent to a Swiss Army knife when it comes to your data. They have FME Desktop, FME Server, and they even put it in the cloud with FME Cloud. When you go to their site at www.safe.com, you can check these products out for yourself. You can download and try out a trial version, or you can click the Get Pricing link if you really just want to buy now. When you click the I Want to Buy button and the FME Quote dialog pops up, in the Comments section of the dialog box, make sure you put that you want the JBGO and Everyday Geo discount. And the discount is 0% off. That's right, a whopping 0% off. But I can guarantee that once you buy it, you will be satisfied with the product, with the help, training material, and level of support. Yep you will be 95% satisfied with your purchase. That's right, 95%. Why not 100? Because nothing is 100%, except death and taxes. So why am I plugging Safe Software and FME? Well, why not? Anyway, a lot of my guests have talked about FME and Safe Software, and Dale Lutz, who is one of the two big kahunas over at Safe, sent me a pair of FME slippers, which have been keeping my toes nice and toasty as I work on these podcasts and other things here in my home office. So I wanted to have a little fun and say thanks in my own special way. Thanks again, Dale. Well, GIS Lounge seems to be my theme for this Bits and Bops episode as they have a, another article that I enjoyed called um, ESA Swarm Satellites Reveal Detailed Variations in the Earth's Magnetic Field. So we were just talking about the new projection datum, you know, coming in. You know, everything's based off new new mathematic models, based off satellites and a new geoid. Well, the ESA, or the European Space Agency, has made a high-resolution map using its swarm satellites of the Earth's, of the Earth's lithospheric magnetic field which shows some interesting anomalies as well as showing the continued movement of the North Pole over towards Serbia. They also talk about a meteorite, meteorite that hit an area, which also caused a change in the Earth's magnetic field. So check out this article. Now my next article is from GIS Geography. And GIS Geography gives us 15 free satellite image data sources. Now, do you need imagery? There are a lot of image providers out there today, but some of them charge a pretty penny, okay? Lots and lots of dollars, not pennies, to get access to that imagery. However, this article that they produce will help you find some pretty damn good imagery from around the world and for no charge. That's right, no charge. So check it out and have fun with the imagery. And if you like free data, What's better than free data? Well, what about free software? Software is expensive, and at times you don't even utilize half of the software's capabilities in your day-to-day -day work. 
the stuff that is coming out in the open software open source world is getting better and better and is great for small startups or mom and pop shops to use until they have enough resources to buy something else. GIS Geography published a write-up titled Mapping Out the GIS Software Landscape, where they developed a formula based on various factors to rank GIS software and came out with 30 software packages. Of course, the formula found what many would already expect, and that is Esri and ArcGIS was at the top. But who came in second? Was it a package that's been around since the mid-90s like GeoMedia? Or maybe another package like MapInfo? Nope. Open source came in numbers two and three as the most used and popular found around the globe. Those two being QGIS and GRASS-GIS. With MapInfo coming next and GeoMedia further down the list. So GIS Geography put out another article with 13 free open source GIS packages for you to review and to try out yourself. Some of the free stuff is even geared towards specific disciplines, such as Diva GIS for those biologists out in the world. I never knew about Diva until now, and I'm interested on how it's geared for the biologists out there, since biology is in my background. And if you want to know if any of our intel agencies or defense agencies use open source, they do. FalconView is free and open source and has been used for years by the U.S. intel agencies as well as the defense industry. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you are using a package like ArcGIS, MapInfo, or GeoMedia, that you dump them and run to open source, but I do recommend you check out open source and add it to your geospatial toolbox. There's some good functionality in these packages. You don't have to worry about additional licensing. And who knows? Maybe you might find out that for your particular needs, it's just fine for you. And maybe you can lower some of your costs by switching. So make sure you check out this article. Here I've not really got an article. I've got, I guess, maybe a blog post um, from a group called Medium, and it is titled, Where Does Google Maps Get Its Data From? So, where does Google get its traffic data from? Well, the article seems to suggest that the data is collected by monitoring the movement of Android phones on the roads, and that even more, more information was collected after Google acquired Waze and started using the data from the users of the app. But what about the iPhone users? really don't think Google is ignoring collecting from them either. I wouldn't be surprised that if you have a Google app on your iPhone and have not explicitly turned off location services for that app, Google is collecting data as well. I would not even be surprised if Google was somehow collecting information even if you had your location services turned off. Yeah, I know. I'm going all conspiracy theory here. Why? It's my show. I can. The last article comes from National Geographic, and it is a vintage vi video which explains how roadmaps were made in the 1940s. Now, making maps, especially roadmaps, has gotten a lot easier now that we have aerial photos and satellite imagery to help us see large sections of roads and highways. We have great software available to help us plot and update these roads and associate all types of information to the various features found on the road, as well as the capability to utilize some great cartographic tools to help us produce an eye-pleasing map that contains all the information needed to get from point A to point B. But how 
did we make maps back in the day so we could drive across the country to see the wonders of the country. National Geographic recently posted a video showing how road maps were made back in the 40s, and I personally think it was pretty cool. The video called Caught Mapping covers some of the his history of map making and how it progressed to the modern times of the 40s. I also believe, after watching that video, it would be a great job to be a road scout. Out on the open road, driving across the landscape, and feeding information back to the cartographers so maps can be updated with the latest information available. Imagine their surprise that they knew we can now do this in a matter of minutes or seconds instead of days or months. At the end of the video, the narrator states, Yes, map making has changed, has kept pace with a changing America. <laughs> Oh, how true those words were, and are, even today. So folks, that's this Bits and Bops segment. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed sharing it with you. I've enjoyed reading the articles. And there's just sometimes way too many articles than I can talk about. A lot of things have been going on for me personally. been making some changes, both professionally. Uh, so some of my episodes may be a little late in coming. They're still going to come. So I hope you still subscribe. I still hope you catch up and listen to these videos or these <laughs> videos. There might be a video coming out soon. How scary is that? Well, I hope anyway, hopefully you're still subscribing to these podcasts and listening on your favorite podcast playing apparatus, be it Apple, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, or Google Play. So thanks for listening. And until next time, have a good day.